Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And uh, today we're, we're looking back at 10 years of this show. And so we decided we should have a special guest come on the show. So we invited uh, Allison Loudermilk. Uh, Allison, uh, say hi to everybody. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Congratulations on 10 years. Oh, thank you. Uh, Allison, uh, by the way, uh, hasn't been on the podcast in a while, but she is the editor-in-chief of HowStuffWorks.com, which, of course, is the website website. that this show was born out of, uh, really that, that all of the core uh, stuff shows uh, emerged from. Right. Right on. Yeah. So uh, I guess if, you, if you're new to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you probably don't know anything about this. You'd, you, you may not have ever heard one of the earlier episodes that has the title Stuff from the Science Lab, but that's where it all began. Um, you and I co-hosted that show. It began on January 14th, 2010, with two episodes that were published on that day, uh, one of them titled Amazing Infestations and the other one titled How Fighting Asteroids Work. And that was the beginning. And it's been, what, two episodes a week ever since. Did you go back and listen to uh, either of these two podcasts in prepping for this episode? No, I didn't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I thought back on them. I reflected back on them. The thing is, uh, I, I, one of the things I was definitely remembering about it is that, first of all, we had no idea what we were doing. For the most part. That is I'm, entirely true. I was a science writer for the website, and you were my editor. And so our um, – what was his title at the time? Our boss, Connell Byrne, came to us and said, you guys should do a science podcast. What do you want to call it? And I believe we said, uh, how about stuff that could kill you or stuff that can kill you or something to that effect, right? Yes. Yes, it was. And uh, So because it was How Stuff Works, everything had to be stuff. Yeah, you had to have stuff in the title. That was the mandate. That was, uh-huh. that was absolutely required. And we were like, well, let's make – maybe we make it a little edgy. You know, it's about, you know, explosions and uh, supernova, black holes, earthquakes. Every, you know, we figured we could get a lot of mileage out of that. Uh, but then that was rejected. Uh, and he said, no, it's it's going to be called Stuff from the Science Lab. And so that's what we launched with. <laughs> Why did you reject that? <laughs> that, that? That goes very counter to the naming conventions of podcasts today. Today, you might propose Stuff from the Science Lab and they would be like, that sounds boring. You need to do stuff that will kill you. Right. Well, one thing that we, we came across pretty quickly is that the name – it didn't really fit what we were producing because it uh, – some people – thought that it meant that it was going to be very technical, that it was going to be very science lab. And so they came in and they were disappointed by that because it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like it didn't have that that level of depth to it. It, it, right, was, exactly. it was a much shorter show at the time, too. I think we were generally taking individual articles that we'd worked on together and spinning them off into like sometimes like 20-minute episodes, I think. So it was, uh, it was a much shorter show. It was a – I also remember, again, coming back to the fact that we were totally new to this audio recording thing. I remember we would go through and do a complete run-through of the episode first and then attempt to come back and do it again, which seemed like a great idea at the time when we we, we did it that way. And we quickly realized that that was, that was not the way to approach the show. Like it, it kind of boiled out all the organic conversation. I think I remember doing the same thing when we first started podcasting. Oh, yeah? yeah, when I was uh, – when I very first started with uh, with um, 
with Lauren Vogelbaum and Jonathan Strickland on Forward Thinking. We would do like rehearsals. Uh, horrible idea. Absolutely <laughs> brutal. Yeah. And then it makes you just even more sick of the content when you get around <laughs> to it. Uh, just, yeah, it gets, removes any authentic enthusiasm you have for it. Uh, I don't know. What, what else am I, am I missing about the early days of the show? Well, we did throw in a couple of science jokes, which are ever so humorous. Oh, yes. Like like straight-up jokes, like almost We did. Jokes. I think that was a bit that we were like, well, maybe we should have a joke in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were also asking listeners to, to submit their science-based jokes. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> That was a bit of a clunker. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, looking back, I would say stuff from the science lab, not the most inventive name ever. No, no, and that's that's probably why they eventually came back and said, "All right, stuff to blow your mind instead," which is a, a good title, but also has continually produced. Um, it, it's, it has provided, uh, you know, ready um, material for anyone who wants to say, "Well, that episode didn't blow my mind," <laughs> and so it's. I have to say, I don't think it's a great title either because it, not every topic is going to blow the mind, whatever that exactly is. Uh, I, I, I like the idea of an expansion of the mind more, you know? And we might not be expanding it by much, but maybe just a little bit. And I think that's what we were, we were trying to do uh, with stuff from the science lab as well. Agree. I think that, I mean, there were a couple of things in play there. Podcasts were just starting to break and Connell wanted to get in there. And uh, I mean, science was a strong suit of how stuff works. He was, I mean, we were also looking at the business model of just straight up double dipping, right? I mm -hmm. mean, you'd already been immersed in this stuff, like writing these articles. And I had, of course, spent a long time carefully editing. So we were trying to, you know, make something else to reach uh, folks who maybe weren't going to read it, but maybe they would listen to it. And then third, I mean, we were just kind of in line with the mission of the site, which is always, always, always to just be explaining the world as much as we can in an accessible and direct and credible way. Yeah, the, the, the mission to, to demystify the world. Um, though sometimes you have to mystify it a little bit, too, to make the things that are <laughs> normal and mundane seem, uh, you know, awesome and inspiring again. But uh, uh, but yeah, I agree. And in, in terms of double dipping, I mean, that was another thing, too. Like, this was very much a, oh, by the way, once you've done all this work um, on the, the written version of this and the edited version of this, and it's been published and you've picked out art for it, and the art's been edited, at the end of the day, go ahead and squeeze out a 20, 30-minute podcast episode <laughs> about that topic. It was not the priority uh, mission for the company. Man, quadruple dipping was like the rule of the day when I was hired, I think in summer of 2010 to be an editor at How Stuff Works. It was like the research that went into writing an article would not just be an article, but it would also become a quiz, uh, maybe an image gallery, a like list. You, or, you know what I mean? Oh, and Joe, you were on the air and Robert, both of you, both of you all were on the air. So, I mean, why not like let's make a video script too. Yo, yes, the video <laughs> era. Let's, yes, that that was also a big one. Um, that has gone away for now. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the pivot to video will return. Okay. It's part of the ever-changing uh, cycle of media platforms. That's a well-played pivot, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have a question for y'all. How do you think the show has evolved in the years it's been on the air? Ooh, well, that's a good question. Um, I think the mission statement has always been the same. Um, I, also, I think a big part of it is that 
everybody that's worked on the show has contributed to the voice of it. Not not only like the individual episodes, but just sort of like the the shape of the show. So you played a vital role uh, when it was uh, stuff from the science lab, and then when they changed the name, Julie Douglas came on board. Julie Douglas was a vital, uh, you know, part of the show for for many years. When Christian was a part of the show, he too, you know, everybody brings their own sort of um, pyramid of interests, their own favorite topics, and I think a, a big part of it has always been, you know, to to say yes to to whatever your your uh, podcast partner brings to the table because inevitably like even today like Joe will be excited about a topic and I don't necessarily get it at first sometimes I might even think this sounds kind of dry I don't know but but I but I trust him on it and I follow him down the path and and it always leads to something amazing so I, I think that's been the case with with everybody, though, and 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 so each each person that's been involved has sort of broadened the scope of the show. And you guys also have magic between you, right? Yes. Well, there's the magic too. Um, <laughs> no, just science. <laughs> uh, we, we have technology. We're like Batman more so than Superman. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and, well, and that brings in the the various editors who've worked on the show over the years. Yeah. Which is a long list of audio editors, and I don't even know that I was able to include everybody. As far as I know, uh, the list of editors for Stuff from the Science Lab slash Stuff to Blow Your Mind are Jerry Rowland, uh, Tyler Klang, Matt Frederick, Noel Brown, who also composed the current theme music, Mm -hmm. Alexander Williams, Tari Harrison, Maya Cole, and then currently Seth Nicholas Johnson. I don't know if I forgot anybody. I'm terrified that we have, but uh, yeah, definitely our producer is... Help bring the magic because, I mean, you, you would not want to hear the unedited form of the show yeah. <laughs> with us, like, stopping. Oh, wait a minute. Did we already talk about this? Well, that could oh, just not saying words <laughs> right and then having to back up. Yeah, or or having to double check something after you've said it. Uh, I think that's, that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily understand about – the way we do the show or how some of the other shows are done here is that they'll see something like uh, the Joe Rogan experience where they see – they listen to the podcast and they watch a video of the podcast taking place before their eyes and then you might easily think that we're doing that as well. And hopefully that's the illusion <laughs> the, via the editing. But no, we're going to have starts and stops. Uh, it's it's uh, an edited product. It's finely edited. I will say because I was listening to um, the Santa God episodes that you put out right oh, before yes. the holidays, which I, I'm just going to be a fangirl, and I really like them. I thought it was super uh, representative of the podcast brand and, like, the way you brought your lens to it, like, just this very specific stuff to blow your mind, like, academic, curious, you know, playfully intellectual. It was just—they were really good. Totally dug them. Oh, well, thank you. Um and, but then, of course, you went back and listened to the uh, the original episodes as well. So, really, you're the one who has more room to well to critique me anyway. <laughs> to say to what degree um, I've improved or not improved over the past decade. Robert, you're super solid, and you sound exactly the same. Oh, okay. Well, that's good or bad, depending on, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. No, no, I think good. Okay. So I remember what it felt like when I first tried to get on mic uh, for for the first podcast I was recording. And it was terrifying, paralyzing. I had no idea what to say. I had no idea how to talk as soon as the you know light went on. Uh, do y'all remember feeling like that? Like, did did, did you have the same kind of uh, fear and and inability to act, or 
uh, I don't know. Did you take to it better than I did? I remember getting the fear sweats. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it really took a long time for that to go away. I always, I think I'll even occasionally get them uh, where I'll feel like I'm, I'm sweating like a, a fearful animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so much anymore. But it, back in the day, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, I did. I always felt like there was more prep that could be done, that it could be tighter, you know, that I didn't articulate a concept as finely as I could have. Um, Absolutely, I was totally nervous and pretty in the dark. Yeah, uh, I mean, all we had to go on, I mean, we had editor feedback, and certainly when we started out, we were working with Jerry, and so she she was the the in-house expert on what a podcast was and what it should be. So we had that to go on, and then we had listener feedback, which could range from very helpful to not helpful, <laughs> or or you'd end up. Fi- I remember fixating sometimes if someone would write in and say, "Oh, you're saying um too many times," or or whatever the the particular uh, you know annoying thing is you're doing, and then you become hyper aware of it for a while, and you try and curb yourself, and then eventually you kind of give up, and you you realize, well, I'm just going to largely just be myself, and I'm just going to try and be comfortable and not second guess everything I'm saying. But but at the same time, coming back to, you know, always feeling like there's something more you could have added, I think uh, with stuff from the science lab especially, that was the case because we were putting so much time into this written product. Uh, and as a writer and editor, you know, at the end of the day, we were hoping to have this the best possible version of this thing to put on the website, the best possible article. And then we were sort of trying to do the same thing with the audio version, which was a big ask, especially considering, you know, that it was, a, a like you say, a triple dip uh, piece of content. And ultimately, podcasts, uh, as they've been put together at, at How Stuff Works, uh, were put together at How Stuff Works, they ended up taking on a more organic feel for the most part. They weren't this tightly produced thing um, at the time. Were your early podcasts conversational? Like, did you feel like you were having a talk with each other that, that in any way was genuine or was it more just kind of like a, an information delivery system in audio form, which is still how some people think of podcasts today? Yeah. I mean, occasionally we'll get the criticism that says, like, you guys don't need to talk about these things. You know, just give <laughs> us the information. Yeah, stop having a conversation and just tell us who invented the telephone. Um, <laughs> I don't hear that very often, but every now and then. I'm going to say that, yeah, I think in the beginning we were a little awkward and it was a little bit like an information delivery system because we wanted to make sure we got our points out there. We wanted to make sure they were accurate. And, you know, like Robert was saying, we wanted to make sure that it was a a good listen, you know, a tightly produced asset. Um, So, yeah, Joe, I think it sometimes aired on that side. Um, and then I think as we got more comfortable with it, I, we recorded maybe 80 episodes together. I believe so. Is that about right? Probably because we, we basically went till fall of that year uh, and that was when um, they rebranded the show. Uh, and the weird thing was is I, I definitely remember that by the end – we were – I feel like that was when we'd actually really found our groove. Part of it being that we – like some of the pressure was off, you know. They were like, oh, we're going to rebrand the show anyway. And so we're like, oh, OK, we can just sort of have some fun with it, um, which I, in a way is, I mean, kind of tragic because like we were – the show, if they'd given it a little longer, you know, it's like we were on the right track with it. You know, it's funny. I'm not sure that we would have gotten as long of a runway now if we were to try to launch such a show, right? I mean, we would have been killed within, you know, a couple episodes. Or not. Maybe we would have been wildly successful. (laughs) (laughs) 
Or we would have been a sponsored podcast and therefore there would have been like a mandated number of episodes uh, or it would have been seasonal. I mean there's so many – there's so many different versions of what a podcast is now uh, compared to what at least we thought of in-house at the time. Uh, like I remember the weird things when when everyone was talking about podcasts. I was thinking, oh, yeah, podcasts are these music shows that I listen to. Like I was thinking to primarily DJ Mix podcasts. That was pretty much the only podcast I listened to and then also some NPR shows that were repurposed as podcasts. Or sometimes like just pirated as podcast. I remember being given a, a CD filled with This American Life episodes and like that was that was essentially podcast, but it was like the pirated pre-podcast version of that. Did you all have a sense at the beginning that you were in any way competing with that kind of thing? Were you like competing with these highly produced NPR shows that – uh, you know, have all these uh, like resources and editing and all that? Or or did you just think, oh, we're just out here doing our thing? I'm going to answer for myself. But Robert, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, I think that we sort of – or I, I sort of felt like I was operating in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, it's sort of um, still interesting to me <laughs> to hear my voice out there on some, you know, episode or something – uh, so no, I I, don't, I didn't think of myself as competition. I didn't think of us as competition. That said, I think I think it is competition, right? I mean, I'm stating the obvious here. What about you, Robert? Um, I mean, I still kind of to this day, I I look at a show like Radio Lab, and I think, okay, Radio Lab is Star Wars, you know, in <laughs> uh, in in the best you know version of that, you know, yeah. like it is a it is it's high production, high production reported value. segments, all that kind of thing, yeah, yeah. and and just and also wonderful content. I, I love uh, I love that show. Um, and but then our version of the podcast was not a feature motion picture. It was maybe like a a TV show, you know? So it's like we were operating – like the, it was a different product. Uh, were they in the same genre? Uh, yeah. Was there some crossover from, from the content from time to time? Certainly. But but yeah, it never really felt like like we were actually competing with them because it was just a different product. It was like we, we made socks, they made underwear or vice <laughs> versa, depending on where you stand on socks versus underwear, I guess. You made socks. They made suits of armor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we made socks. Yeah, they made uh, um, like samurai swords or something. But uh, but still, like when you're wearing a good pair of socks, yeah, nothing socks else works. Matter, yeah. A samurai sword will not cut it when you want a pair of good socks. Um, and people are super loyal to the brands of socks. But but another thing you, you were asking about was like how um, – about organic conversation in the early episodes. Um, I think like that was something we kind of had to learn because – the weird thing about the kind of conversations we had then and that we have to, to this day on Stuff to Blow Your Mind is that you're not really having what is 100 percent an organic conversation. You're having a version of it that someone's going to eavesdrop on. It's kind of like having a very intentional conversation at a party because you know a particular person or some stranger that you've just eyeballed is listening to you. Right. Like it's a weird beast well, yeah, I, I don't know how exactly to explain what we do. I mean, it's not normal. <laughs> it's right. not like something that people would normally find themselves doing. But it's not fake when we have a conversation. No, no, that's on the, the other show. thing. We, it's not a are, performance, but it's also but it is a performance. I mean, yeah, it's like a, an organic conversation that is also a performance, but also has a bullet point, uh, you know, a bulleted list of facts that need to be, uh, you know, administered to the audience. Right. I mean, that's something that comes up in the tension. Allison, you were mentioning earlier, like, 
you know, you wanted in the early episodes, you were saying you wanted to put together a good product that like what was the real value of how stuff works at the time? It was like factual, well-vetted, sourced information, you know, stuff that you could factually rely on uh, to whatever extent possible. And and I think that can definitely – like when you have that as a goal in mind, that can tend to make you want to produce something that is a more uh, kind of tightly controlled product. Like that, that tends naturally against organic conversation. Uh, so uh, I know it's like – this has always been part of the difficulty, you know, in, in my experience in podcasting is balancing that like, you know, real uh, off the cuff uh, approachable kind of feeling with making sure you get everything right as best you can. Right. I think that particularly in the subject areas of science and, of course, history, uh, the history hosts who have had to do this, you know, and very just on the mark. I mean, they have to do umpteen hours of research. I don't know what their research count is now, but – yeah. Oh, up teen and a half, I think. <laughs> up their game. All right, time to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Okay, folks, so we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But here's a new cool fact. It can take your TV watching game to the next level. You can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are technically only available in other countries. Yeah, like uh, for instance, I, I was watching a little Doctor Who over the weekend. What better place to watch Doctor Who than UK Netflix? Don't live in the UK, doesn't matter, because with ExpressVPN, all you have to do is fire up the app, change your location to the UK, refresh Netflix, and bam, you're good to go. So the way it works is ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Yeah, like if you love anime, for instance, you can use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the great reason to use ExpressVPN is that it is ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD with no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, your phone, your media console, your smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen wherever you are. If you visit our special link right now, expressvpn.com slash mindblown, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support our show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash mindblown. All right, we're back. I'd love to hear, Joe and Robert, where you think the podcast will go and where you want to take it specifically. I mean, could we depend on this conversation happening in another 10 years? What are your thoughts about the future? Well, uh, I hope so, because that also means that all of us are still alive, uh, which is a good thing. <laughs> that podcasts still exist. Uh, this is also a good thing. Civilization is still around. Will we survive the podcast wars? <laughs> the great podcast wars of, of 2025. The pod wars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. This, I, I've always, I always am terrible at those, uh, where do you see yourself in like 10 years, three years, uh, two weeks kind of questions. But... Um, um, I mean, there's certainly one of the things about the show is that there's we're never going to run out of content uh, as long as scientists are out there doing their work, as long as 
archaeologists uh, are out there, you know, exploring the past. Historians are taking apart the past. As long as there oh. are there are experts working in all of these fields, like we have material to pour through and dissect and add our own spin and interpretation on. I feel like even if all research stopped today, we could keep oh, doing yeah. this show for the rest of our natural lives. I mean. Uh, one of the things that's been shocking to me about the show, or maybe not shocking, I don't know, maybe something that I always had a kind of unnatural faith in is the idea that almost every subject, if you look at it deep enough, becomes weird and becomes interesting. Yeah. Uh, stuff that might not seem that way at first glance. If you just keep going deeper in, it gets there. And then if you if you look around at sources enough, like how many times have we found something where it's like, oh, my God, this idea from the 70s is wonderful or, ooh, I found all this great stuff about tridents, but it's from a book in the 1930s, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, to, to your point, like if no additional um, writings w were composed... Uh, we're not saying your, we want that, by no, the way. No, it, I mean, it would be easier to catch up, obviously, but... Uh, but but no, if it's if everything stopped, there's still so many wonderful nuggets buried in uh, in the material, and so much of it that has only become really readily available, uh, you know, since the show uh, began. I mean, the the online resources have really changed the way we do our job. I would say that is absolutely true. One thing that has changed big time since I started doing podcasts is. Through various means, it is much easier to get your hands on primary research now than it was like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's so huge. I mean, sourcing is so huge. And I really, really enjoy how you guys do that uh, in every single episode with the studies and just a quick reference, but it's there. Do you do show notes as well? We oh, no, we, we used don't. to, didn't we? We we used to sort of do them, and then they got kind of thinner, de depending on how much time we had. Or onerous, as the case may be. <laughs> and now we don't really have a website anymore. Yeah, so. we don't really have a place to put them. So that um, wasn't really our call. But. Yeah, but but they kind of solved the the question for us. Like it's not even a, an option right now. But I mean, we we do try whenever possible. I mean, depending on the subject, you you can't always do, like do full references on everything. Right. But we do try pretty often to like give. The kinds of citations that if you wanted to sit down and write it down, you could look it up and find it. Yeah. The, the problem being is that a lot of times we're dealing with names that either either we're butchering the pronunciation <laughs> of the individual's name or or it's just a hard thing to look up. Famously, we are bad at pronouncing names. Yeah. But maybe that's a case with all podcasters because I hear other podcast hosts say that they get dinged about pronouncing names wrong. Yeah. Well, uh, certainly if you are ever listening to the show – uh, at least a recent show or even an older show, and there is a source you're curious about that you want to check out for yourself and you, you, you aren't able to find it, well, you know, sh drop us a line, email us, and uh, we'll see if we can't, uh, you know, send you a better link uh, or at least, uh, you know, the, the official uh, author and title uh, so that you can look it up on your own time. We get those source, We get those types of questions a lot on the website too, yeah. which I find encouraging. And I will usually, you know, see what I can dig up, or if somebody's referencing a source, like, oh, I, I think this might be the right way to go to research my wife's medical treatment. And I'm thinking, hey, why don't you try, say, Cochrane.org instead for this, mm -hmm. you know, comprehensive review of breast cancer research. Um, but I do, I have noticed that more people are sort of coming and asking, like, wh where did this come from? Can I get the primary resource, uh, you know, where this originated? And I really like that. Yeah, I, I think that the internet might be in some ways now a little bit better and in some ways a little bit worse in terms of, of source, uh, source consciousness. 
I think people are more skeptical of web pages and just like what somebody says on the internet than they used to be. Um, the downside to that, I think, is that also sometimes comes with a kind of um, unquenchable like conspiracy denialism that mm. just like, you know, where you can't really accept anything. Yeah, that can be a little bit debilitating. <laughs> Wait, do, do you get that too? We yeah. do. We do. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, people are very quick to call fake news on you. Yeah. For sure. You know, at this point, I think we should we should probably just talk about like the current state of stuff shows and howstuffworks.com. dot com. Sure. Because not everybody is familiar with this. Not everybody is going to like have how stuff works in their uh, their their news browser. Uh, you know, so that they they get updates about it. So basically, uh, one of the things that occurred over the past what several years now was the uh, again all these stuff shows. Stuff to blow your mind slash stuff in the science lab, stuff you should know, stuff you missed in history class, stuff they don't want you to know, et cetera. Uh, they all started as part of HowStuffWorks.com. But then uh, these two properties were then split into two separate divisions, the podcast division and the website division. Right. And then the podcast division was purchased uh, – apart from the website. Right. And so currently uh, this show and the other stuff podcasts are part of the iHeartMedia, iHeartPodcast uh, division. But they're still sort of considered How Stuff Works podcasts, which can be confusing to people, right? Uh, I yes. totally, yeah. totally get that. <laughs> I've looked at our wiki, our, you know, our Wikipedia page multiple times and that says, you know. Oh, no. What does it say on no, there? No, no. They, they, I – to give some props to the hardworking editors of Wikipedia. Uh, they got it right there. And I, I think they actually got a lot of things right these days. I, I, yeah, I just said that. Oh, no. This is a funny thing I mm -hmm. think I've talked about on the show before. I would never use Wikipedia as a final source of information. It's a great jumping off point. But I think Wikipedia is a uh, is about as reliable as lots of editorially controlled sites, if not better. Uh, and I'm not including you there, Allison. <laughs> but like, I mean, like you you will go to sites that would appear to have editorial control that I think are more likely to have errors and, and you know, incorrect citations and stuff than your average Wikipedia article. Yeah, I, I just wanted to give Wikipedia props. I feel like there are a <laughs> lot of people who are working pretty hard on it to produce a, a, an improved product for sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I only that was a tangent there, a Wikipedia tangent, if you will. Um, but they do get it right currently. And so System 1 being the website, so System 1 is the website's parent. They're out of uh, Venice Beach, California. And they do user acquisition, whereas you all are owned, the, the podcasts are owned by iHeart, as you were just saying. But we're we, all still friendly and we all still work in the same building. <laughs> yes, we're all still in the same building, still, still all friendly. But, but We've got collars on that prevent us from talking to each other. <laughs> if, if we do, the buzzer goes off. But no, but, but, but certainly inviting you on the show involved uh, asking you to come down from the eighth floor. So. Yeah, it was a heck of an elevator ride <laughs> coming down that fourth floor. But also, a lot of the folks on staff at uh, iHeart, no big surprise, are wildly talented and are writers. And I don't know, we just find occasions to still interact and be a curious crew together. Yeah. So, so uh, talk a little bit about um, what's going on with with uh, with HowStuffWorks.com and uh, and what what your your role uh, is as uh, editor in chief. I have a good job, y'all. I really do. Uh, I feel very fortunate. Um, I have a small team. We have a small team, an editorial team based uh, here in Atlanta. And we are, 
Well, first of all, we're search-driven, right? So uh, to step back a little bit, how stuff works comes up a lot when you search, right? Like whatever you're searching, whether it's for particle accelerators or on um, a Savannah Cat. We've been doing a lot of cat content lately. Go figure. Savannah Cat? I, yeah, a Savannah Cat. I don't oh, know anything about Savannah Cat. Oh, man. They're crazy. Okay. Um, yeah, I recommend that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really interesting cats. You like cats, too. Um. Well, yeah, I'm kind of on the fence with you say cats that right like now. It's shocking. <laughs> well, you. I mean, I. One of the things about Robert that we all kind of know is he's not like a huge fan of dogs, but likes the cats. That's true. It's true. Yeah, that was the thing. Like you were a dog person, I was a cat person, <laughs> yeah. and it's the same dynamic uh, today. Yeah. Um. Yeah. My cat keeps exploding these days, so I'm. I'm a little. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to question my, uh, uh, my my fondness for cats versus dogs. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you know that uh, in one of our first early episodes of Stuff from the Science Lab, uh, I believe it was on Komodo dragons, crazy Komodo dragons. Oh, yes. There's a sequence in, uh, in which you imitate your cat um, retching. Oh, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I should go listen to that. Yeah. That goes in the sound bank for the people who make music out of our mouth noises. <laughs> the, um, I, I do remember the Komodo Dragon episode having a lot of, like, really gross stuff in it. Like, there was stuff about Komodo Dragons, like, slinging intestines around to, like, remove the, the fecal matter from them so they could eat the intestines and babies hiding from the parents so they wouldn't be consumed as well. Yeah, and we were we were doing that episode in tandem with a Discovery show because we were at that point owned by Discovery, and it was I think it was Life, in which yes. uh, there was a good feature about Komodo dragons. So we were kind of uh, looking into them at that point and learning all sorts of crazy <laughs> facts. That's the oh, podcast. Yes. The Komodo dragon well has not run dry. I think it was just last year that Robert and I did an episode uh, about uh, parthenogenesis in the animal kingdom, oh, and yes. we talked about Komodo dragons. Virgin birth in the, yeah. the Komodo dragon world. They, and they're still one of my favorite things to see at, at a zoo. Whenever I visit a zoo, I will definitely check out the Komodo dragons. Even though they're probably not going to be moving much, they're probably going to be pretty stationary. They're still pretty awe-inspiring. Yeah, they are. Oh, which reminds me, uh, you're asking what we're up to at HowStuffWorks.com. I'm going to put in a quick plug with somebody who has been on your show before. We are going to be doing an event at the Atlanta Science Festival. So if anybody who's listening is based in the Atlanta area, please come on out. We're going to do How Snakes Work. And that's with Mark. Uh, uh, Mark from, Mandinka. Yes, yeah, exactly. From the Amphibian uh, uh, Foundation. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. Uh, it's going to be in March Excellent. 2020. Yeah, uh, the, the Atlanta Science Festival is, uh, is pretty great because it's, it's pretty varied. I find each year there, there's so many different types of things to go to. A lot of it very, very family-friendly. Um, I think I've been to um, – let's see. Some of the things I've been to include like amphibian walks, like where you're going out into the into a park to look under rocks and find amphibians uh, with Mark and his crew. But also – Salamanders, uh, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, salamanders, yeah. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. But then there's also stuff with like robot competitions put on by different uh, schools in the area. Uh, a ton of great content. They really blow me away with, uh, w- with their offerings every year because it's like almost a full month of, of material, right? Yes, yes, it is. There's some hardworking folks behind it. I really appreciate what they've done for just kind of greater science knowledge in the area, along with yourselves, of course. <laughs> uh, but getting back to it, yeah. So, I mean, at House Stiff Works to say, we really are still, we haven't changed that much in the 20 plus years we've been on. And that is, our mission is pretty much still the same. 
We want to satisfy your curiosity. We want to answer your questions about the world, whatever it is, whether it's about bobsledding or impeachment or <laughs> particle accelerators or what the difference is between, you know, a road, an avenue, and a boulevard. Do you guys know? I didn't know, but I, we just wrote I an article I do, about it. I do not know. Can you yeah. spoil it for us? Uh, you're going to have to go look it up, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> We also, I mean, we also, I mean, so we write on the big and we write on the small. I mm -hmm. mean, that's just the nature of the site. I mean, we just put out an article on, you know, are Pringles really potato chips? Ooh, they're, they're not, right? Well, wait, they're made of potatoes, aren't they? But they're not, uh, they're About not 42%. whole potatoes. Oh. 42% potato? There's some, there's some court action involved in this oh, one. Wow. frightened to ask. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so we. 42% <laughs> potato. I'm guessing the other, um. Quick, do the math for me. That's it's moon dust is the rest of it. <laughs> I was going to say salt. It's like throat <laughs> shredding regolith makes your Pringles. I kid, but like, I, if there were Pringles now, I would probably eat several of them there. Oh, man, I would eat like a whole can, a whole sleeve. Is it a, is it a sleeve of Pringles? Do we know the correct terminology there? Oh, I, it may be a sleeve. Tube. Oh, okay. Tube, yeah. tube of, of tube. Yeah, they, they tube. do come in the tube. But you want to, like, dump them out into your palm so you don't have to reach your hand and get it like the Pringles, you know, armband. I feel like one of the real appeals of Pringles is that when you're done with the, with the tube, you can stick your arm in the tube and have tube hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they had Pringles here at the office a while back, and I, um, I happened to be a day when uh, I was in here with my son, and mm. he was like, oh, Pringles, uh, can I have some Pringles? I'm like, sure, you can grab a, a canister of Pringles. Got the canister, and we got into the car, and we were leaving the office, and he opened it up, and there was one Pringle. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> were there tears? Um, no, it was just confusion, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll buy you some Pringles. So we, had to go. we were going to a store anyway, so Softy. we bought Pringles. So anyway, um, yeah. So, I mean, Free publicity for Pringles. So, I mean, we're also interested, I mean, in 2020, just like you all, uh, just in being like the need to be as transparent as possible. You know, that means sourcing, yeah. that means attribution, that means you should know when the article is published. That means if something, if a lot of people are looking at something, we need to have eyes on it and make sure that that, that information is up to date. Uh, a key example there would be our U.S. Uh, draft, how the U.S. draft works. Mm -hmm. uh, article is trending because uh, a government website went down and here comes ours, like on the rise. What do you know? Our information is good. It's factual. The draft process has not changed. It trends like mad. And we need to make sure, like when I see people are looking at that, it is my responsibility as editor-in-chief of How Stuff Works to get you the best information you can have. So, I mean, that is... We were laser, laser focused on that in 2020 because it is so important to think about your sources and credibility is very important. And we are a small publisher competing with a lot of other folks out there. So come see us. <laughs> yeah, uh, th that's great. Yeah, deep respect. And just I want to say sometimes I wish we had an editor on the podcast and had more <laughs> – like had more eyes and more process. I mean, we have a wonderful audio editor, but you mm -hmm. know what I mean, like a – like a content editor, in some ways I, I miss that approach because it gives you more confidence going out, you know. Like, and we work really hard to make sure that we're on top of everything, but it's, you know, it's just Robert and me, you know, in our research and we're just like blazing through everything at the pace we do and 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 trying to get it all right. I mean, and I, I hope we usually do a good job on that, but man, it would be great to have an editor to like have another layer to go through on everything. Yeah. I mean, this was the, what I always uh, enjoyed about working with you. And still, when I when I um, uh, occasionally freelance uh, an article for How Stuff Works, uh, if I get to work with you on that particular article or or any of the editors there, it's like somebody to 
tell me when I'm doing something wrong uh, and to, to, to correct sort of the, the nagging mistakes that I will keep making and if left to my own devices will never uh, fix. Uh, it, it's, I mean, that's, uh, that, uh, that's the, one of the essential roles of, of, of having an editor. Like an editor makes you better at the thing you do. For the record, listeners, uh, Robert and Joe are both very good writers. And if you haven't read any of their stuff, you should. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough back in the day to get to write some of the some of these uh, you know uh, big multi-page articles about a given topic on how stuff works, and uh, yeah, and it's it, they're the sort of article that you hear people referring back to later on. You know, being something where you know someone wanted to know about say steam technology or nuclear power plants, and and being able to like go there as a uh, you know an initial source as a way of uh, a sort of figuring out you know, how this technology works. It's being discussed in the news, you know, and. Um, and and uh, and I love that how stuff works is is still a part of that conversation is still uh, still out there creating content like that and updating the old content as our understanding changes. It's tremendously valuable, in depth, comprehensive, deeply sourced. Those kind of articles are amazing. So look out for us in 2020. <laughs> we're going to be writing lots of new ones, and we're also going to be um, taking kind of a pruning project on because we, along with lots of other sites, have inherited content that maybe isn't as good of a fit. So, I mean, we are going to take steps as painful as it is for me as an editor to take things off of a website. Mm-hmm. We'll probably be doing some of that, too. Um, but we are here. We're around, and we need you, readers. Go to HowStuffWorks.com. Make it your homepage. <laughs> Find out what an avenue is. Learn about these Savannah cats. Um, learn the, about the draft. You know, the truth, I, I looked it up while y'all were talking. So it turns out roads don't actually exist. Uh, <laughs> uh, streets are only in Russia and everything else is a boulevard. I don't think that's true. That's misinformation, Joe. <laughs> All right. Time to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. All right, we're back. So what stories are you looking forward to covering next year? Ooh, looking forward to covering. I don't know. I hadn't mm. thought or prepared about this. Well, I mean, on one hand, like two two topics that we covered very recently that were kind of updates. First of all, hopefully we'll get to see some more interstellar visitors to our solar system. It seems like there's a very good chance that'll happen. Since, yeah. since all in, the hubbub about Oumuamua right. sort of was – partially quashed by us finding another one much sooner than people expected to. Right. So I'm, I'm very curious to see if we, we see more of that in 2020. Likewise, there's the whole uh, issue of uh, the Sulawesi um, hunting scene that was discovered. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, uh, that seems to date back at least um, 43,900 years, which is 20,000 years older than um, uh, some of the oldest, hunted, the oldest hunting scene that we've seen previously and 4,000 years before the um, uh, Lowenminch, which was this, uh, the, what was previously thought to be the, the oldest depiction of a, a human-animal hybrid. Um, so, you know, if if the research holds uh, true on that, and it looks like it probably will, like that changes the way we understand the, the evolution of, uh, of human thought, you know. And uh, so on one hand, it's going to be cool to see more research into that particular find, but it also highlights just how much more there is to potentially discover, you know, what new findings will will emerge that will force us to rethink, you know, what we are and uh, how the, the how the world works. 
Uh, I'm excited about upcoming black hole stuff. Uh, so, of course, 2019 was a great year for black holes. I think it was in April that the first image uh, ever of a direct image of a black hole, to whatever extent you can have a direct image mm-hmm. of a black hole, was released. It was uh, the the M87 galaxy, which is like 55 million light years away from us. Uh, and that was done by the Event Horizon Telescope, which is a you know telescope array of uh, different radio telescopes on different continents around the world. They pooled the resources, synchronized, combined data, and, and produced this amazing image. Which I, I'm not, so it wasn't made out of visible light; it was made out of radio signals. So I assume they had to make some decisions about how the data would be represented as a color scheme when the image was released. And their choice of that gold to orange spectrum has a very haunting primordial quality that I really like against the you know the black background it's kind of out of mordor and i think big thumbs up to to that um it's it's one great example of why the aesthetics of science matter a lot too also just the sheer level of collaboration i mean i'm Mm -hmm. so encouraged by like the dozens and dozens of scientists that are working on these like huge you know like lego or something like that like just uh, people working together toward you know science it's amazing yeah yeah the the collaboration is is phenomenal because again this is like this is not something that one telescope was able to do this was a collaboration across at least three or I think four different continents at least, uh, mm-hmm. both the Americas and Europe and Antarctica. There might have been one in Africa. Like they're all over the place that had to collaborate to put together this picture that we got. Um, and yeah, and so of course we love black holes on the show. We, we've come back to the topic several times in some multi-part episodes. There was one thing I was just reading earlier today that makes me think that there's probably – more uh, black hole news on uh, coming next year, which was uh, I, I think there's some new research about how uh, solving problems about how supermassive black holes are formed because there's this mystery where you know we can see supermassive black holes way out there that are so far away that we know that they must have been formed very early in the universe. So where did all the supermass come from? They had to be gobbling up matter. It, we would presume for like billions of years to get to get as massive as they are, but obviously they haven't been doing that because they're you know they, they were formed very early in the universe. So what's going on with that? I think there's a new answer to that, but I can't recall what the answer is. So, <laughs> so maybe we'll revisit that uh, in, in an upcoming episode. Yeah, I'm for sure looking to a lot more exoplanet discoveries. It's- yeah. This past decade was kind of like the exoplanet decade, wasn't it? Like it was. It, you, oh, yeah. From beginning to end, there is an amazing arc of exoplanet research to where uh, – and, and and don't take this too seriously, but to the point where exoplanets have almost become mundane news. Yeah, it does feel like that a little bit. I agree. Yeah. Now, now here's something that, that comes to mind too in, in talking about it, anticipating topics that are going to be discussed, scientific topics and, and otherwise that will be discussed in 2020 is that, of course, it's not just the scientific discoveries that uh, that command what sort of science articles you're going to see online. Sometimes it does come from what's popular with motion pictures. Uh, for instance, Ant-Man came out. Uh, well, I guess we've had two of them now. I only saw the first one. But when, when Ant-Man came out, like suddenly people were like, yeah, tell me more about – uh, how physics work at a smaller scale. Tell me more about quantum physics and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, what other, you know, any kind of like science that is dealt with even just, you know, slightly in a, a movie like that. Does Paul Rudd squirt formic acid? Do they get into that at all? Uh, maybe that's in the sequel. But, <laughs> okay. But, but seriously, though, like that's, that's one thing to think about 
uh, for instance, in 2020, we're going to get the first half of the new adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune. So you know, we're probably going to see a lot of uh, science articles coming out about um, you know how a still suit could potentially work, but based uh, you know on <laughs> modern metamaterials, uh-huh. things like that. I always look forward to. We were there first. We did Science of Dune episodes years ago when it wasn't cool. Yeah. When we just sounded like total nerds for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll talk about Dune at some point this year as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm 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 not even sure offhand like what other like science fiction films are coming out that that are going to be prime candidates for that sort of thing or what Marvel films will be coming out that uh, will force us to um, reconsider scientific topics. You got to pull the weight on that one because I, I don't see these Marvel movies. I am not hip with it. I don't know what's happening. Uh, I'm, I'm not as good about keeping up with them uh, as, as I was. But you know, I mean really, how do you ignore them when they come out? They're they're huge. They're gonna, just you're going to watch them on an airplane at some point, Joe. I saw Black Panther and it was good. Mm-hmm. And I watched like the X-Men with Sansa in it and that was not good. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Well, that wasn't an MCU film. That was, that was different. Oh, okay. Right? I'm looking forward to Black Widow. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot that, um, that it's going to be like a spy action thing, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe there'll be some cool gadgets in there that will be worth exploring. It would be very good. It, I mean, it really would be essential to do something on climate change, uh, on stuff to blow your mind in the the near future for twenty twenty. Yeah, I think especially because many of these, uh, you know, pretty confidently climate change linked uh, linked weather patterns and disasters have been becoming increasingly hard to ignore mm-hmm. uh, in the past few years. I mean, we think about it, the wildfire problems this year, and uh, uh, oh God, I mean. The Amazon. The, yeah. Yeah. That's a downer, isn't it? But, I mean, uh, it's something you got to talk about. I yeah. mean, we'll be covering – I mean, we all have an obligation to uh, to run those stories, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and HowStuffWorks.com already has some fabulous resources on that count. I mean, uh, your uh, article on uh, uh, climate change – and, We've been uh, doing a lot warming. this year. We did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we participated in covering climate now, where hundreds of media outlets uh, just strove to generally bring climate change and climate change stories um, to the public and and publish them. It was cool. I feel like this is something that you know. I guess we all work as science communicators, so there. This is something that's worth pooling our our, our intellectual resources about. Um, how do you how do you get attention for stories that are not inherently fun like climate change mm-hmm. is it's like if there is a single subject in science that people need to be aware of and need to have stories brought to their attention about right now it's probably climate change but like the climate change stories are not very enjoyable usually to read right. about or to listen to they can be kind of depressing or uh, you know and so like what um I don't know. I, I didn't mean to just trail off there, but like, yeah, what what kind of resources can we bring from our uh, storytelling capabilities to get people on the hook for these stories the same way they would be for things that are naturally more fun, that are easier to understand, that are easier to get excited about and have a reading or listening appetite for? They're not all going to be rosy stories, but I think that we are having some success with, like, the collective human consciousness being applied to this mega problem. Um, And I think it's important to note the successes. People are making changes. Like, there are a lot more electric cars on the road. 
Um, you know, we have gotten a lot more creative about our usage of energy, and we're we're thinking a lot more about it. So I think, Joe, that. Uh, you do have to kind of be positive, and I think you have to break it down. People don't like being powerless, yeah. and so yeah. you have to make sure it's accessible and doable. Okay, we know we don't necessarily live in Australia. We can't control these fires, but are there other things that we can be mindful about? Is there a talking point I can have with my child when, you know, we're talking about, you know, being out in nature or Something like that. Like there, you have to relate it on a local level, and I think you have to incorporate some positive points. Yeah, like one, like a couple of positive spins that I, I've come across. Uh, so first of all, we ended up talking about um, the ozone layer uh, in one of our episodes. Uh, it was an episode on Highlander Two, but we still <laughs> talked about the ozone layer and the science of the ozone layer and the story of of scientists saying, "Hey, we need to do something about uh, this this growing problem," and then. Everyone being able to work together for the most part to then address that problem uh, and and get us on the right track uh, with that issue like that's an inspiring story to me because it shows that that yes there are cases where we can do that where we can get the co- enough collective will uh, to actually address the problem and work towards the solution and and we can take that to the climate change uh, situation another another aspect too that I, and this is not my thought i've i've seen this um, echoed elsewhere is that when you look at the the ravages of climate change they are things that that human civilization has has done and that is uh, on one level that is that is the depressing part of it but on the other part that's that shows you like the power that human civilization has and if we can if we can do that much harm without meaning to then what happens when we we actually turn our collective attention to solving the problem like it's it's solvable we can do it because we did the damage you know yeah uh, but i mean i again not to to be a downer but it's also a double edged sword because another danger i think with talking about climate change is if you're you're trying to emphasize positive ways of framing the issue what could be done you also run the risk i think of encouraging a kind of passive optimism yeah. where, where people will just be, oh, you know, it'll solve itself. The next generation it'll get will figure out. it out. Yeah. And you, you can't think like that. You know, this is not the kind of problem that'll just solve itself. Agree. Agree. Yeah. You make a good point, Joe. I also am curious to see where human creativity goes. I think we are like wildly creative and I'm just so curious to see how humans approach this problem uh, on a continuing basis as we're going to have to do. Yeah. Are, are you saying we need artificial intelligence to tell us what to do? Are you one of those people who wants to build an AI god and worship it? <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I will take. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> I hear these AI there, gods have some great ideas. You know, <laughs> they can really ideate. Yeah. <laughs> I think Allison's kidding. I am. I am. So I just wanted to say thanks for uh, having me on today, you guys. I really have a lot of respect for both of you as science communicators, as you were pointing out earlier. That's what we all are, Joe. Likewise, Allison. uh, Thanks. Um, And I think that, you know— People like to consume content in different ways and that you both are fulfilling a really vital role in, uh, you know, being stuff to blow your mind host. I know it's not easy. I know that the grind of getting episodes out every single week and, you know, striving to come up with new uh, episodes and new topics and things like that. It, it's hard, and I really respect what you all are trying to do and the unique way that you do it. 
Well, thank you so much, Allison. That that is too nice of you to say. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you. Um, I mean, it, a lot of it ultimately does come down to like the listeners and the listeners' curiosity. You know, I mean, we 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 didn't create their curiosity. All we can hope to do is um, is sort of is is feed it to to the extent that we can. Uh, and uh, and so really, it, a lot of it does come back to the listener, not to suck up to the listeners, though they're great. Um, but, <laughs> but like, it's, you know, really, it's their their willingness and their desire to listen to us ramble about these topics and share these, uh, uh, you know, various curios and explanations with them. Um, and, and ultimately, I think that's that's what inspires me at the end of the day is that we have this audience that is that is hungry for more that wants to have their mind expanded that want to understand the world a little better to understand themselves a little better and to you know continue on this path of consistent improvement and consistent betterment and uh, you know and and, and endless uh, learning uh, that is that is life you know uh, and at this point after 10 years you know we we heard just recently from a, a listener talking about how they started listening to the show 10 years ago when they were uh, kids you know and now they're what they're in a master's program uh, working on an engineering degree I engineering believe. degree yeah. yes uh, so you know stuff like that is just it just brings it brings tears to your eyes uh, to hear it that 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 is probably the single greatest uh, non monetary compensation for, uh, for for doing this job is hearing from from kids who were encouraged, you know, to to think about the world more deeply or to go into a scientific or technical subject or whatever because of something they heard on the show or because of an attitude they heard modeled on the show. Which I, I think at our best, that's what I hope we can do. I I don't know if we're the best science communicators in the world in. In the term, in like the the sense of like being technical experts on things, but what I do hope we can model is uh, is a genuine enthusiasm and an approachable attitude and uh, and a skeptical mindset. Yeah, and and just you know share our curiosity with your curiosity, and hopefully we can all go on this journey together. Well, thanks for having me on this journey. Well, thanks for yeah, thanks for dropping in and chatting with us about the the early days of the show, and thanks for being a part of the early days of the show. I mean, uh, uh, again, everybody that's that's been a part of this show uh, on any level has helped make it what it is, and the show wouldn't be what it is today uh, without you, Allison. Oh, Robert, that's really sweet. Uh, thanks again. Oh, everybody. Oh, great hug. <laughs> All right, so there you have it. Uh, if you want to check out more stuff to blow your mind. Head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com, and that will redirect you to uh, some of the latest episodes of the show. But you can find the podcast wherever you get podcasts these days, um, whatever the service is. Uh, we're out there. Wherever it happens to be, though, just make sure you've subscribed. And uh, give us a, a little rating and a review if you have the ability to do so, because that helps the show out as well. Huge thanks to Allison Loudermilk for joining us today. Remember to check out HowStuffWorks.com and make it your new browser homepage. Huge thanks as well to Seth Nicholas Johnson, our excellent audio producer. If you'd like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hi, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.